tears. Thank you so much, Peter, as well, for uh, leading us in our time of worship thus far, and Jordan as well, through our time of communion. We will continue our worship now through the preaching of God's holy and inerrant word. And we will continue our series that we began many months ago now on the parables of Jesus. Just by way of brief recap from last time, if you remember, Jesus' parables are ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. Ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. Para, uh, the par- word parable is, uh, is where we, or the word parable uh, is, <laughs> is a word picture that demonstrates truth. Para, where we get the word parallel from, that's what I was trying to say, means to lay alongside of. So a parable is a story laid alongside truth. Jesus spoke in normal sermonic exhortation, as we know, for the first two years of his ministry. But on that day in Matthew 13, he changed his teaching style to that of the parables. This was not to make his teaching easier or more palatable, as as some would believe, but rather it was primarily out of judgment. The parables have a primary role of judgment for unbelievers, those who spurn God's offer of salvation. They are not meant to be clear. They are meant to hide the truth in riddles. But for those of us who have been brought into the body of Christ, for those who know the blessing of salvation, the parables are clear because they have their central focus in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The parables are about salvation and because we have been granted salvation, we can understand them. And today's parables are certainly no less. This morning we have three to look at. We are looking at the parable of the two servants, the parable of the ten bridesmaids and the parable of the talents. These parables are familiar to many of us, many of of us learning them in our Sunday school classes when we were much younger. And although they have very different storylines, Matthew writes them together here because they all bring out one single, one simple point. Are we being faithful in light of Christ's return. Are you and I walking faithfully as we await the return of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ? Chapters 24 and 25 of the book of Matthew is where these three parables are found. So if you could please open up with me there. This portion of scripture is otherwise known as the Olivet Discourse. And it's essentially Matthew's closing to the teaching ministry of Jesus right before his arrest and his crucifixion. And he's sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and he's speaking to them, answering their questions. They asked him in verse 3 of chapter 24, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of the coming and of the end of the age? Jesus is patiently answering their questions. But sadly, this discourse as a whole contains some of the most widely abused verses in all of Scripture. Verses like verse 6, 
for example. You are going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. Uh, Verse 7, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. People will spend hours searching the internet for this stuff, for the wars and the rumors of wars, and they never seem to fail to find fresh reports that seem to fit these passages. Some would abuse these passages by saying there is some extended code here that gives a hidden answer to the disciples' question. There seems to be no end of theories, people working out, trying to work out when Christ will return. Every few years there is another false prophet who says he's figured it all out when the Lord will return and he stands up to be able to tell everyone about that. But Jesus here, in this whole discourse, emphatically denies even the slightest possibility of someone knowing when he will return. Verse 36, Not even the angels know, but my Father only. He makes this point again and again in this discourse. Verse 42, You do not know the hour your Lord is coming. Verse 44, The Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The Master will come on a day when the servant is not looking for him. Verse 50, verse 13 of 25, You know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. No one knows. The three parables that we will be looking at this morning all stress the same thing, the impossibility of knowing the day or the hour when Christ shall return. So in other words, Jesus here, he is deliberately and purposefully leaving the disciples' question of when will this happen unanswered. He's leaving no room for speculation or melodrama or sensationalism. And on top of this, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 6, see that you are not troubled. So clearly, Jesus is not giving us a way to figure out when to look for his return, nor is he trying to frighten us with the events of the coming tribulation. All he is trying to do here is urge his disciples to remain faithful until he returns again. Rather than answering their questions about his return, he gives three parables to cover every single possibility. So let me ask again, pending the Lord's return, are you walking faithfully, waiting for his arrival? Are you living your life ever aware that at any moment the Lord could return? How do you want to be found when the Lord returns? A faithful servant or a willing unbeliever? We'll pick up in Matthew chapter 24, reading from verse 45 together. Sorry, let me just adjust this. It's really annoying me. Verse 45 of 24. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour at which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with 
the hypocrites. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. First up in this trio of parables is a story that contrasts two servants, a faithful and an unfaithful servant. The scene is set when the master is called away for a season and he he leaves his possessions or his estate to two different kinds of people. The faithful servant, as we see in this parable, when the master is gone, he immediately jumps into action. He understands that with the master away, his responsibilities only would be increased. He needed to work harder and more diligently than ever before. And he did so, why? Because he knew that one day he would have to give an account. The day that the master returned, he would be called into question all that he had done and all that he had achieved. When that day came, he wanted to be found ready. Whether the master returned early or late, he wanted to be found faithfully fulfilling his duties. The other servant, comparatively, saw the master's absence as an opportunity to let loose. The master away, the the boys will play, and that's exactly what he did. Instead of increasing his work to ensure things kept running, he threw off all constraint and avoided every responsibility that he was given. He did whatever his heart so desired, all because there was no one watching and there was no accountability. And when the master does return, the outcomes are completely different. A faithful servant is rewarded here beyond expectation. His hard work has paid off, not because he was seeking reward, but rather because he was working for the master. He wanted to please the master. Immediately he is promoted to the highest authority and honour. He's given privileges that mirror the master's entitlements himself. Thinking about this reward, this, this picture here is of what every true believer will receive that day. This eternal reward is for all who are faithful in Christ. One day we will reign with Christ. Romans 8.17 says, We will be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffered together with Him so that we might be glorified together with Him. Our place in heaven will be a position of inconceivable honour and reward. And we will sit with Christ on his throne. This is the reward that we have to look forward to, all who remain faithful in Christ. By contrast, the evil servant, he represents the self-deluded unbeliever who has merely identified with the church. He pretends to be serving the master, but in reality, he has no love for the master. He has no interest other than serving himself, other than merely enjoying a few of the temporal blessings of being in the fold. And this guy definitely does not look forward to the return of the master. He's deluded almost about the return of the master. He says, verse 48, My master is delaying his coming. He will not be back anytime soon. His lack of faith here emboldens his evil conduct. As we know, the the master does return and quite suddenly and sooner than expected. And the evil servant, when he does return, is instantly 
exposed for what he is. He is a pretender. And the punishment for him is as severe as it was lavish for the faithful servant. He is cut in two, verse 51 tells us. So he's clearly dead. But then further still, his portion or his lot in the afterlife, if you like, is appointed with the hypocrites in a place where there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. This expression, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that would have been familiar to Christ's disciples. Jesus had used it many times before to describe the endless sorrow and the agonizing regret of souls in hell. And that's the same meaning that we have here as well. He is going to that place because he was ignorant about his master's return. John 3.18 tells us, The one who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. What a grave sin it is to scoff at the return of Christ. The same grace that saves us teaches us that we should live self-controlled, righteously, godly in the present age, looking forward to the blessed hope of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Titus 2, Titus 2, chapter 12. We must remain faithful because the return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any time. And that is a lesson that is underscored in this parable. Nothing stands in the way of our Lord's imminent return. And we are taught repeatedly in Scripture, be ready. We are to be like the wise servant here, doing the Master's work, being obedient, being loyal, and being prepared for His coming. The second parable this morning for us to look at is that of the the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins, depending on what version of the scriptures you might have. We pick up in Matthew 25. Uh, by the way, as well, um, verses and, and, uh, and chapters, they weren't added until the 13th century for convenience sake, really. So uh, this, this should be read as a whole. Uh, it can be quite easy some nights when you're reading the scriptures just to, to finish at the end of a chapter. But, but ideally, this is designed to be read as a whole story. These two parables, they go hand in hand, emphasizing different aspects of one key lesson. So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 25. The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For the foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. 
Be on alert then, for you do not know the hour nor the day. Where the, the parable of the two servants makes the point that Christ's return is imminent and we should assume that he will not delay his coming, this parable simply flips that point around. Be ready for his return at any time also means that we must not be caught off guard if Christ does delay. True readiness requires a balance in our expectation about the return of Christ. The form of this world is passing away. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The end of all things is at hand. The return of Christ is fast approaching and nothing stands in his way. And it's crucial that we should be ready should he return today. But our ignorance about the timing of Christ's return has another implication as well. We need to remain patient, we need to remain diligent and faithful no matter how long the Lord may seem to delay his return. Time is short as we all know and have experienced but as 2 Peter 3 tells us, one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. We must be ready whether the Lord returns today or whether he waits another thousand years. And while we wait, we must stay faithful to our responsibilities. That's what true faithfulness looks like, waiting whether he returns now or whether he delays. In order to illustrate this point about not being caught off guard should he delay his return, Jesus tells us the story of ten bridesmaids at a wedding feast. Now traditionally in Jewish weddings, the bridesmaids would all be unmarried. That's where we get the title of the ten virgins from depending on what version of scripture you have um, and this wedding that we have described for us here is is quite large 10 bridesmaids is large even in today's standards so this was this would have been a grand wedding feast that Jesus is describing here and the process of engagement and, and marriage in first century Jewish culture was made up of three phases the first phase was the promise of marriage and an arrangement would normally be made between the two sets of parents. A, uh, a payment would be made from the bridegroom father to the, bride, to the father of the bride and that would seal the arrangement. The second phase was, was the betrothal where there would be a public exchange of, of vows and, and of gifts between the couple. The couple still lived apart and the marriage wasn't consummated until phase three, which was the wedding feast. And this could happen up to a year after the betrothal and the celebration. A celebration would take place that would last for several days. The parable here is describing day one of that wedding feast. The bridegroom would arrive and this would begin the festivities. The bridesmaids, they would, they would come, they would come out to meet him and they would escort him through the streets of the town or the village to the location where the feast would take place. And they would do this with their oil-filled lamps or with their torches. This was the one main responsibility of the bridesmaids. Have your lamps ready to go so you could escort the groom. Normally all this would start around sunset so that people who were travelling could come and, and be there for the feast. But in this wedding, something happened to the groom and he was delayed. 
Not told why, but when he finally arrived, he was pretty keen to get things going. And he did not want to wait another minute to get things started. All the guests, they had stayed and, and everyone was ready except the five foolish bridesmaids who had left to buy more oil. You can understand the, the frustration of the groom at that time. The bridesmaids, they had one job to do, keep your lamps burning. Bring enough oil to be prepared for any delay. When the groom comes, they wake from their slumber and they have to go buy more oil. And being midnight, I'm sure that would have been pretty difficult back then as they didn't have it on the run just down the road or anything like that. Verse 10, those who were ready went in and the door was shut. The foolish five, upon their return, they begged to be let in. They begged the groom. But the groom, he was resolute. And see what he has to say. It's almost, it's chilling what he has to say. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. You had ample opportunity, you had sufficient time, more time than expected, and you still were not prepared for my coming. I do not know you. These words echo what Jesus will say at the final judgment. Matthew 7, verse 23. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That know that Jesus is talking about, I never knew you, I don't know you here. It's not just an awareness or a recognition, but rather an intimate knowledge. In the same way that Adam knew Eve, it is an intimate knowledge. The same is said in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, and they will not be able. Same ideas again. The point of this parable is very simple. Christ here is illustrated as the bridegroom. He may arrive later than we expect, but we must be prepared for that possibility. For us, that means remaining awake, staying at the watch, no matter how late the hour is when he returns. Thinking about this, as time goes on and, and the arrival grows closer, the need for watchfulness increases, not the other way around. As time goes on, there is no room for slacking off. The only time we can prepare for Christ's return is now. Because when he returns, his arrival will signal the end of all such opportunities. Those not ready as the five foolish bridesmaids here will be completely and permanently shut out. Be as the five prudent bridesmaids, ready, waiting, expecting, despite the groom's delay. Thirdly this morning... We'll have a look at the, the final parable in this trio, the parable of the talents. The parable of the two servants, a lesson about expectantly watching for Christ's return. The parable of the ten bridesmaids, patiently waiting for Christ's return. And now the parable of the talents is a reminder that we must keep diligently working while we wait and look for Him. If we want to be faithful believers, then we must continue to work and plan with an eye on the future. Careful planning for the future isn't a contradiction 
to living by faith. Failure to plan for the future, that's not, that's not faith at all. That's foolishness. As Christ himself said in, in Luke 14, verse 28, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? He has an eye on the future. The parable of the talents commends faithful work and prudent planning. In this parable, a rich man, he travels to some faraway place and he appoints three servants as managers of his or specific allotments of his wealth until he returns. Two of the men put his money to work and were able to double their portions. The third buries his treasure and gains nothing for the master. Let's pick up in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two and another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See what you have is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reaped where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has more, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. This, this parable is a pointed reminder that while we wait for the Lord, we must be prepared by faithfully working for the Master. The two previous parables showed us that expectation must be tempered with patience. But this parable reminds us that whether Christ should return early or late, we must be busy for Him. As we have read the wealthy man, he goes on a journey. And this is clearly representing Christ. He appoints the servants to take care of his affairs and they are to act as faithful stewards of their master's resources. They are in effect given total responsibility to manage the wealth of the master that he leaves 
with them. The first is given five, the second two, and the third one. Now, a talent, just for your own information as well, that's not, it's not a coin or, or a unit of currency, uh, but rather it is a unit of weight, a measurement of weight. If we are to convert this into today's measurement, one talent would be approximately 30 kilos, normally of gold or, or silver. And if it was gold, 30 kilos of gold today would be worth about $1.5 million. So this was no small amount that was given to these men to be in charge of. Each man was given an amount in accordance with his character. The first man being the most responsible and trustworthy, he was given five and, and so on and so forth. Two of the men set to work and, and look how they did. Verse 16, immediately they went and they gained more. Not knowing how much time they had till the master returned, they set to work quickly. They were trading, investing, doubling the value of the resource that was given to their care. The third did not, burying his fortune. Whether he was afraid of a crashing market or, or squandering the money, who knows? But whatever goes, he did nothing with the money, not, not even banking it to earn interest. And the master must have been delayed in his coming, as verse 19 says. He came after a long time and he came back to settle accounts with his slaves. The faithful servants, they were commended and rewarded equally. The master says the same thing to both, the two, of, both two faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I have put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. They were honoured here for their faithfulness, not what they had earned. And this is always how Scripture describes the judgment seat of Christ. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, not according to the result. The Master's response here shows him to be gracious and generous, rewarding the faithful men with, with greater authority and a place of joy. This reward, again, clearly a picture of heaven for the faithful. Heaven is not a place of, of boredom or inactivity, but rather it is filled with exaltation and honour, the greatest joy possible because we will be with Christ himself. The unfaithful servant is dealt with very differently. See how initially here he tries to deflect the judgment he says he was afraid because of the master's reputation. It was one of ruthlessness and, and, and being a demanding, unethical man. Of course, this was false. But even if it had been true, as the master points out, the worst thing that he could have done was bury the talent and gain nothing. The problem was never the master, but rather the wickedness of the lazy slave. He is clearly again a picture of an unbeliever. And the third servant is put into the same category as the unfaithful servant and the five bridesmaids. It is yet another example of carelessness, of arrogance, of disobedience to the master. Self-willed. He is self-willed in his behavior and unfaithful in every moral duty. The rest of the story ends much like the previous two parables. He is caught unprepared. His unfaithfulness is exposed and his punishment is severe. These three parables, they form a great exhortation about how we ought to think about the Lord's return. 
the first parable highlighting the folly of thinking that the Lord will not return soon, that we must be expectantly waiting for the Lord's return. Second parable highlights the folly of assuming that he will come sooner rather than later. So we must be patiently waiting for him. And the third parable highlights the importance of remaining faithful and diligently working regardless of when Christ returns. As we close off this morning, I just want to mention a few things for us to take away that we see in all of these parables. Firstly, the Lord's return is absolutely inevitable. It is going to happen one way or another. All three of these parables and the remainder of Scripture for that fact leaves no room for argument. The first coming was a historical event, as Jordan reminded us this morning. The second will be also. There will come a day when he will come like a thief in the night and Christ will return. And when he does, he will bring judgment. Second, this parable exhorts us to be ready to be watchful, to be waiting, to be found busy. All three speak of the need to be faithful as we await the return. So we ask the question, what does faithfulness look like? What does readiness look like? What does it mean to be prepared as we wait for Christ's return? That got me thinking and I was able to come up with these three areas that I believe cover all areas of our Christian walk. First area is personal holiness. This is our own personal walk with the Lord. Are we walking in godliness? Are we daily putting off sin and putting on righteousness? Are we much in the Word? Are we reading? Are we studying the Scriptures? To grow in godliness, we must be much in the Word of God. If you have not had a chance already, I would encourage you to please read today's bulletin article. What goes in is what comes out. Faithfulness is being much in God's Word. Also, praying in your personal holiness. Do you spend time with the Lord each day in prayer, confessing, asking, seeking, praising God for who He is? Are you men leading your families in godliness and women faithfully following your husbands? Second category, public perception. Do others know that you are a believer? At your workplace or at your family gatherings, does everyone know what you believe in and what you stand for? When was the last time you actually witnessed to someone and told them about the gospel? Not just inviting them along to church, but actually telling them about Christ. And thirdly, what does faithfulness look like in relation to our body life or our participation in the body? How do you serve the Lord in this assembly? Not just serving, but how are you ministering to the Lord in this assembly? Do you meet 
and encourage and edify other believers? Do you meet and pray with other believers? Or do you just say hi on a Sunday morning? How was your week? How's the weather? What ministries of the church are you a part of? Prayer meetings. We have prayer meetings just this week gone. As a church, we have four prayer meetings every single year. Wednesday night, we have 60 to 70 people here Sunday after Sunday. Wednesday night, we had 16 16 people, half of which were our elderly folk who have every reason not to be able to come. Faithfulness is prioritising the church, prioritising home groups, prioritising prayer meetings. Church comes first, not family, not friends. Church is our priority. How sad, it, how sad it is when you have professing believers at times acting just like the unfaithful servant. It should not be so amongst us believers. Third and finally this morning, all three of these parables contrast only two things, two groups. There is faithfulness and unbelief. There is wisdom and folly, readiness and apathy, saved and unsaved. There are always two groups, so this leaves no room for the half-hearted, carnal, lukewarm Christian. There is no room for someone with a foot in both camps, no room for someone wanting the benefits but without belief. In Christ's own words, He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me is scattered abroad. A person who has no true belief will have no real expectation of Christ's return, no eagerness to meet him, no love for his appearing. The result will be the same as it was for the unfaithful in these parables. A place with the hypocrites in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Nowhere in these parables is there a third group of less faithful. It is salvation or unbelief. So which camp are you in this morning, can I ask? For those of us who believe, how beautiful is the saving grace of God, this grace that has drawn us out of darkness and into his marvellous light, the grace that has taken away our sins and robed us in Christ's own righteousness because of his saving grace that we did not deserve. We can look forward to the blessed return of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, ushering us into the next age. May we all be expectantly watching, patiently waiting and faithfully working as we await the return of Christ. Let us pray.